friends, and welcome to the 14th edition of the Rhode Island Builders Association's News and Views podcast. I'm your host, Paul Eno, and it's January 31st, 2023. Boy, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> Co-hosting with me today, is not here just yet, but he will be, is REBA Executive Officer John <clears throat> Marcantonio. Okay, so with us today are Acting Deputy Director of the Rhode Island Department of Business Regulation, <clears throat> Matt Santa Cruz, and State Building Code Commissioner, Jim Cambio. Welcome everybody. Hi Paul, happy to be here. Okay, so so let's just begin. Uh, Matt, if you wanna begin with uh, the changes that, that uh, contractors can expect this year, uh, having to do with CRLB, the Registration and Licensing Board. Sure, absolutely. And thanks again for giving us the opportunity to spend some time with you. Um, so as um, folks probably know, uh, the General Assembly worked um, hand in hand with the Department of Business Regulation last year during the 2022 session to make a number of changes to Rhode Island General Laws Chapter 565, which is um, the, the chapter of the general law um, that governs contractors, registration and licensing. Um, and that legislation reflected a, a, a multi-year review of um, CRLB performance um, and identified areas of improvement that happened with the board, um, which, as you know, re uh, reflects the input of a variety of contractors, um, uh, specialty areas, and, and stakeholder groups. And really what the, what the bill aimed to do was figure out, you know, what's working well with the contractors board, what's not working well with the contractors board, and how do we make sure that what the board is doing is working best for not only homeowners, but ultimately the industry. Um, and 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 what the board is doing um, is reflecting, you know, a variety of best practices. And what do I mean by that? So so more specifically, what the legislation really focuses on is um, is properly defining complaints, claims, and violations, and making sure that the law is specific and very clear about the rights and responsibilities of homeowners and the rights and responsibilities of contractors. And both sides of that equation really, really matter because we want to make sure that folks know, you know what they need to be doing to maintain compliance, um, but also conversely, you know, on both sides of the homeowner and contractor relationship, what their rights are in the event of a dispute or a contested case. Um, we, um, in the legislation, sought to enhance um, the, the boards and the building office's authority to pursue actions relating to violations of the statute and regulation, um, and really importantly clarified that the contractor's board cannot order monetary damages. As folks probably know, this has been, you know, something that the board has made a practice of over the past number of years, uh, but is really out of line with what any other administrative agency in the state of Rhode Island does. Um, and is in 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 some cases uh, borderline um, sort of out of step with what the law allows. And then finally, it sought to reinforce the contractors' board's really critical role as an appellant body. And what I mean by that is when um, the state building office and and the staff make a determination that contractor X was in violation of regulations one, two, and three. That that contractor has a has has an opportunity to appeal that determination back to the board, and that the board can use its jurisdiction and its subject matter expertise to evaluate that that appeal on its merits and make a final determination. Um, so all of those things together is what the, the the legislation really sought to do 
Um, and we really thank the General Assembly for their hard work with the department to, to pass that bill last May. And so, you know, the bill is one thing, but what we do with it is really, really what matters and what we're focused in 2023 on bringing into practice um, here at the State Building Office. And so we've got, you know, some guiding principles and how we're going about implementing it. And Commissioner Cambio and his team um, and the staff of the, of the contractors board, as well as the board itself, Chairman Fury and, and Vice Chair Carol O'Donnell in particular, have been really, really great partners in this work and have been very thoughtful and, um, and substantive contributors to how we're going about this. What are our guiding principles in implementation? So first and foremost is the continued sort of important and uh, important role of the contractors board, as I mentioned a minute ago, as the ultimate arbiter of final orders, I'm sorry, of appealed final orders, which focuses on leveraging the deep expertise of the board members in adjudicating what are complicated appeals and very often really important things to get right, uh, particularly when it comes to making sure that um, contractors are being held accountable for bad action, but also not being held accountable for honest mistakes and that sort of thing. We're also seeking to prioritize the, the board's pursuit of violations that are flagrant, repeated, and an obvious threat to life safety. And more specifically, we've started to prioritize violations and enforcement actions related to the following three categories. One is work that was performed without registration, what we refer to as non-registered builders or NRBs. The second category is instances where deposits were taken, money was taken and no work was performed. And the third um, category is work that's obvious and an immediate threat to public health and safety. Um, so um, again, those three priority categories for the board and for the office right now are work that was performed without a registration, money that was taken with no work performed and or improper work that's an immediate health and safety concern. And so we've started this year to really prioritize complaints that fit into those categories and taking very focused and specific and deliberate enforcement action in those three categories. And the new and different thing, um, and the thing that I'm actually very excited about uh, beyond that is that we've really started to conform the administrative enforcement action that the building office and that the board has taken with what every other state agency does that has a regulatory role other divisions in DBR, other regulatory agencies and state government all conform with the Administrative Procedures Act, um, which is a statewide sort of statute that governs how to take administrative action and how to enforce a regulation in the state of Rhode Island. And what that means practically is that when we do take an enforcement action, we're going about it in the right way, that due process is available to the contractor, and that the right of appeal is available to a contractor as well, that these happen, that these enforcement actions are happening in the full light of day with full transparency, and that we've taken all the appropriate steps to make sure that everybody's rights are protected along the way. Um, and then finally, and then I'll and then I'll stop talking here, is that we've taken this sort of mediation and negotiation function that really matters and that the contractors board has done a very good job with for a long time. And we've formalized it and we've said that, okay, these mediations and these negotiations really are going to exist between the board and the building office staff and the contractor, um, and that these mediation and negotiations are gonna be occurring within the context of an administrative action. So that when, an, when a mediation occurs and when a negotiation occurs and it's finalized, which is a great outcome, 
if these things can be resolved mutually, that it's actually enforceable and that we're not running around trying to chase um, chase people down over a couple of hundred dollars that really we don't have any legal authority to be chasing them down. That's not a good use of anybody's time. It doesn't actually accomplish anything for the homeowner at the end of the day. Um, and it's not something that was sort of legally enforceable. So big, long answer. That's what's going on with the implementation of, of, of the 565 changes. Again, you know, we're very fortunate that we've got a very strong board and some very strong leadership on that board with Tom Fury and Carol O'Donnell, who have been great partners, that the General Assembly has been really willing to listen to the Department of Business Regulation and, and work on some collaborative changes um, along the way. And we ultimately think that this is going to be good for the industry and good for homeowners. So um, exciting stuff uh, happening here. Very good. Thank you very much, Matt. Uh, building commissioner, building code commissioner Jim Campio. Uh, can you add anything to what Matt has said? Well, Paul, I don't think there's much to add. That uh, he pretty much hit all the main topics. Um, you know, just to uh, reiterate, you know, we we've been sitting down after the change of five six five, saying, all right, how do we prioritize our resources, and and how do we continue to educate the contractors. You know, that's our, our uh, the, the bulk of what we do. We register contractors. We wanna make sure that they have the education and the materials necessary to, you know, to perform their jobs professionally. You know, what can we do in that regard? And then on the complaint side, you know, we start looking at Okay, the NRBs, we know that's a big problem. So, you know, we go after the NRBs. We also have, you know, when we have time, we do enforcement. And and when we get on the enforcement side, you know, if we see violations, we try to educate. It's not about finding a guy that's been following 99% of the rules for, you know, for years. He's a reputable contractor and maybe we find one little glitch. We want to educate. You know, we don't want to just slap fines on the guys playing by the rules. So like Matt said, you know, the NRBs are a big thing. The taking of a homeowner deposit and running off with the money. Those are the those are the key to our, you know, um really pursuing um the violation end of that. So yeah, I think we're um we we've made some really good improvements, like Matt said, with the support of Carol and Tom, um, and I think we're heading in a in the right direction. Yeah, I'd welcome okay. a question or two, but I think we're it's good. Okay, thank you, Jim. Uh, our executive uh, officer, John Marcantonio from Reba, has joined us. John, if you, I know you are having uh, technical difficulties, but if you can unmute, uh, do you have anything to add? Hey, everybody. Hi, Matt, John. Jim, thanks for joining us today. Thank um, you for the opportunity. Yeah, you know, one of the things, could you guys just explain what, for those folks listening, what, what goes wrong typically with a registered or unregistered person? So, you know, you're a builder and then someone files a complaint against you. What What is that process like? And or if you're an unregistered person listening to this podcast, and I don't think there should be any of those, uh, what how that penalty process plays out for folks. Sure. So I'll talk about <clears throat> sort of the way it 
has historically worked, and and then I'll talk about why we think this these improvements are actually going to are, are going to help out a whole lot. So, <clears throat> in the first case, John, for a for and I'll talk let let um, Jim talk about NRBs because he's been thinking a lot about that. Um, in the first case, for a registered you know contractor who has a complaint, historically speaking, you know I could wake up in the morning, decide to file a complaint against Cambio Contractor Inc. And that immediately goes up on the website and is publicly available as a as a tick on his record before anybody in the state building office does a second of investigation about whether or not I just don't like this guy or he pissed me off because he painted my hand railing the wrong color by one shade or something like that. That immediately, without any due process or investigation or right of appeal, ends up as a black mark on that contractor's record, but actually doesn't tell the homeowner who might be thinking about hiring him tomorrow, what actually went wrong. It doesn't give anybody any ability to evaluate substantively what happened in that particular case. And so in this new world, in this new process, what we're going to be doing is taking these complaints, organizing them internally relative to the resources that are available on the investigation side inside the state building office. And as I said a couple minutes ago, prioritizing them in 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 the categories and in the um, in the manner that we think really reflects what ought to be of interest to both the homeowners and the industry. Um, flagrant violations of uh, taking money and not doing any work, obviously not being registered and doing work without being registered, and then uh, areas of, of, of real threats to life safety. Um, and we will investigate those violations um, uh, or those complaints determine if there are any actual violations that have happened, or is it just a you know, personal dispute between two private parties? When we determine that there are violations that have happened, that's when we start to work with the contractor to say, okay, here's our notice. Here's what we think you violated. Now we can talk about it, and we will talk about it, and we do talk about it, get your side of the story. Um, and once we determine you know, substantively the violations that have occurred, we will take administrative action that may include a fine, a monetary fine based on the nature and the frequency of that particular contractor's history with us, but also be including things like maybe an agreement to do a continuing education course. We've got one right now, for instance, that we're thinking about um, needs to maybe do some continuing education on, 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 uh, on a certain area of residential construction. Um, and that those administrative actions, that enforcement action will seek to actually address the root cause of the problem and then once it's resolved, that consent agreement or final order will be available on our website for the public to see. And it'll reflect in detail the specifics of that particular case, the background, and what, what ultimately ended up happening with it. Um, and we think that that, gives, that matters for two reasons. One is it gives the contractor much more of an opportunity to exercise their due process, to really explain you know, what actually happened from their perspective, what they've done to remedy the situation and what they'll do going forward to remedy the situation. So that's why it gives the contractors an important opportunity to, to be a part of the process before they just get a complaint on their record. And then secondly, it gives the homeowners more visibility into contractors' particular um, past and, and what actually happened. So that I can say, all right, you know, maybe he had a personal dispute, but I don't really care. He's got a good price. I trust him. Or I can say, wow, you know, that, that front porch that he put up might have put somebody in the hospital and I don't want to I don't want to necessarily 
have that happen to me. And so I've got more awareness as a consumer about, you know, what I might be getting myself into. And that's where we're headed with this and why we think that's an improvement. Okay, uh, Jim Cambio, would you like to add? Sure. Um, I'll touch a little on uh, the NRBs and um, the overall um, goals here. So, you know, we, we register approximately, for round numbers sake, we'll say 11,000 contractors. Probably 95% of those follow the rules on a daily basis. We have a very small group of repeat offenders. And as Matt had uh, talked about, those guys fit into that egregious acts, doing really bad stuff, and probably taking deposits and running away with people's money. Then we have the NRB section. Um, and we always afford when we and some guys say, look, you know, they were referrals from a friend. I didn't know I needed to be registered to tile or to paint or to. And we always work with them. We give people an opportunity to register. We walk them through the process and we are lenient with any violations if an NRB is willing to work with us. And you know, uh, follow 565, take the education and get registered. The enforcement end of the NRB is where we want to go out, find guys working without registration. They might be coming from neighboring states. They're in and out quick. Um, roofing is a big issue um, in this regard. And now we have a mechanism where we issue the violation for NRBs. And if they don't cooperate with us, they end up going to the collections unit over at the Department of Revenue. So we're getting, you know, I think we've really come around and figured out how to get our biggest um, violators, you know, kind of put into these little compartments. And that's where we want to devote our attention because um that's how we're going to clean it up okay uh thanks jim uh speaking of and you anticipated my next question uh there was a lot of concern among our members about what i call outlaw contractors you know and uh it, it, you you mentioned that enforcement is uh, obviously that's part of it um what um more can you do in the sense of as as you hone down the core mission, as it were, uh, to execute it uh, better? Um, can you say a little more about enforcement against outlaw contractors? I mean, how do you find out about them? Do you have to be driving by? And what's your enforcement capability at this point when it comes to them? Not not to give anything away, but Jim, you want to you want to take a run at that? Sure. So, Paul, we um, what we've been doing is um, talking more with the uh, municipalities, and we urge them if they see work going on in their communities and they have an issued permits, call us. We will have someone work with them to determine if the people doing the work have valid registrations. We we like to leave the permitting issue up to the locals because they have the ability to stop the work and you know and issue the violations for the permit we like to be notified that they probably didn't pull a permit because they're unregistered and that's where we can work together um 
and we we've been relatively successful. You know, it's an ongoing process, and we're trying to get more and more towns to call us so that we can work with them. And then just um, you know, if if an investigator is out and he's driving by a job site, stop and say hello and ask who's doing the work. Oftentimes, like I said, probably ninety five percent of the time it will be a reputable contractor, but um, there is that chance that they're um, they're not registered. But most of our success comes from the referrals from the local building officials. Okay, uh, Matt, did you want to add? The only thing I'd add is that um, you know this sort of improved process that we're taking ourselves through internally will put real teeth in the enforcement action when we decide to take it, such that um, you know bad actors who are subject to an order of the department or of the contractor's registration and licensing board will face real consequences for noncompliance. And that can be everything from, you know, a referral to a civil court or a criminal court um, to a referral to the central collections unit in the case of non-payment of a monetary assessment, um, suspension and revocation of suspension or revocation of a, of a registration. Um, and a license to do business, and that'll all have real teeth in it um, because it'll have gone through the proper administrative channels along the way um, instead of kind of flying by the seat of our pants and reaching an agreement that is worth maybe the paper it's written down on, but if somebody decides to throw it out the window, there's not a whole lot we can do about it. So it's what Jim said, making sure that we're identifying it when and wherever possible and then when we decide to do something about it making sure that that action can stick and really addresses the root the root issue at hand okay uh john mark antonio you want to jump in here well you know paul i know you you like to follow certain guidelines here on your podcast but when you invite <laughs> me to things i can go down rabbit holes so just uh ring me in here if you need me to but uh, guys let me ask you this because i <laughs> I'm privileged to be in this position, but I also hear too many stories, and, and these are from established firms sometimes, of the lack of proper contracts between, you know, customer and builder. Um, can yep. you explain to folks, I mean, obviously there's the minimum what has to be in a contract, but can can you help me stress the folks listening <laughs> the importance of a contract, not just a handshake, oh, geez, I know this guy who's my brother-in-law's cousin, and uh, yeah, there's no worries. Uh, he'll pay for the materials. This is my labor rate. And they get themselves in heated arguments with people they've known for decades because they don't have clear guidelines. They don't have a real contract. Uh, Jim, could you, uh, or Matt, could you guys just go through what happens when you don't have one? Go ahead, Jim. Sure. Um, the lack of a good contract on the contractor side opens them up to the potential for several violations. Um, and I, you know, and, and I don't think as, as you were saying, John, you can't stress it enough that it's not only good for the homeowner to have a good contract, it's equally important for the builder to, to have that same protection and make sure that everything that's supposed to be in there is in there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, Matt, you can probably, uh, 
Um, Let me rephrase it, Jimmy. Let me rephrase it a little bit then. So is it the case that a lot of complaints that come before the board are because people don't have clear definitions as to where their work begins and ends, what's an extra, et cetera? Because, you know, you have a contract to build such and such, and then someone wants a different kitchen, different window, all these changes. It's not clear cut who's paying for that. Customers getting upset because you know, this is taking longer than it's supposed to, or, I mean, these things start to derail if they don't have a clear contract that explains these things. Is that, does that happen enough of, uh, enough of times here that we need to stress it to the contractors listening? I would say it happens on almost, and, and almost every complaint we receive has some aspect of contractual um, uh, defaults, where the, where the homeowner will say, um, uh, you know, and I shouldn't say default, breaches, where the homeowner will claim the breach of contract. He didn't do this, he didn't do that, and then we hear from the builder and he'll say, I wasn't supposed to do this or that. I wasn't hired to do that. You know, that wasn't part of my contract. Um, and I know probably, um, you know, you try to avoid having the 30-page written contract but john we see contracts come in that are written on one little piece of paper handwritten you know not signed no real um defining work expectations and it's it's part of almost every single homeowner complaint okay. and so john what we're going to be what we're going to be putting out um likely within the next few weeks are some public facing materials that just remind both contractors and homeowners of what their kind of, like I said at the very beginning, rights and responsibilities are in this whole process um, <clears throat> and what the law actually says. And so, uh, you know, um, hopefully there's, there's just a little bit more um, awareness and knowledge at the outset of a business relationship as to what everybody's sort of role is and what everybody needs to be asking for. Um, so that we avoid these down the road sort of disputes that could have been avoided at the get-go. Hey, question for you guys. Um, your board does not deal with complaints from subcontractors to contractors, right? It's consumers to the GC, generally. You want me to go with that one? <laughs> go for it, Jim. Yeah, no, we we do accept um, contractor to contractor complaints. So sometimes we may get a subcontractor that says he performed work and he wasn't paid. Or conversely, a contractor that says, I hired a, con a subcontractor and he didn't do what he was supposed to do. So no, we, we do the, see those. They're uh, few and far between, but, but we actually, and that might be because they don't know they can bring those complaints to us, but um, we don't see a lot of them, but we do accept those. Okay, is there anything anyone would like to add? Well, Paul, let me say this. These forward-facing documents that Matt refers to in your role as the editor, chief producer of the Builder Report, can you uh, grab whatever those are and put them out front center? Maybe Absolutely. Center spread? Like even a center spread, people just tear out, keep this type of thing. Um, so yep. we can help out with that. For sure. For sure. Okay. Yep. Very good. Okay, everyone. I guess the, that's about it for- uh, uh, Hang on, Paul. See, I, I have another question. Oh, okay. Can you <laughs> guys- Go give, ahead, John. give a brief update on how things are progressing with online permitting. 
do we have all the towns or pretty soon we'll have all the towns involved in that? And then what's the future here hold for the expansion of that program? Great question, John, and very timely. So we are um, two towns away from having all 39 cities and towns um, fully online. Um, we've got uh, three or four right on the finish line, um, but deeply engaged in the final sort of just financial and logistical aspects of it. But they've committed to joining. We've got, like I said, we've got two more that we're still hoping to get on by um, by by the by the end of the year, um, by the end of the fiscal year. Excuse me. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, we'll, like I said, we'll have all 39 um, uh, in compliance with the law. That's more of a process issue. Substantively, though, where we are with actually implementing it is um, is also, I think, a, a good update. We have. Um, as of earlier this year, uh, at the end of last year, actually onboarded a, a full-time um, IT and project lead here in the state building office, um, who has taken on the, the work of being the day-to-day -day lead liaison with cities and towns on both tech support, sort of IT, how does OpenGov work, um, and also has been just a project manager point of contact for all of the towns, but also the state and industry stakeholders as well. Um, and that's just a big capacity add that, that hasn't existed here at the state building office before. Obviously, the legislature, General Assembly um, invested in that specific position, and we're happy with that added capacity and, and what it's been um, what it's been bringing to the table. Um, and then I think the last and 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 most um, maybe substantive update here is that, as I think a lot of folks know, we we worked in the second half of 2022 with a steering committee of local and state and industry officials to really think about how the, the online permitting process ought to be streamlined um, and how it can work not only um, for every town, but work the best for the purposes that we care about um, as a state, which is to say, make it easier, cheaper and, and, and quicker to build things here in the state of Rhode Island. And a lot of that has to do just with like the different steps that have to happen in every municipality and how that translates up to the state level. And so what we have now, thanks to that group's really hard work, is a dedicated framework and a uniform framework that we're going to be asking every town to really look at and to the extent that they can apply it to their own e-permitting portals. Um, so that hopefully within the next you know, three months, we not only have every town online with OpenGov, we've got every town online in the right way with OpenGov, such that we've got... Um, uh, a, a standard process to the extent that we can, obviously subject to the specific parameters of local zoning ordinances, a uniform process that talks to the state that we have visibility into and that works best for ultimately for builders and, and for municipalities. Um, so there's a lot of work happening on that. We're excited about it. Um, money's been going out the door, obviously on the reimbursement front. Um, the commissioner sent out a, a, a memo to uh, municipalities last week, just reminding them that they've got not only you know good substantive reasons to join, they've actually got a great financial incentive to join as well. And that for those that have already joined, um, uh, costs have been incurred are available to, for reimbursement from the state. And we're we're happy that that money is, is actually starting to go out the door um, at a pretty good clip. So good stuff happening on the e-permanent front. Okay, anyone like to add anything else? Okay, well, in that case, um... Where could our members find out more? Our listeners, uh, we're going to be covering this fully in the uh, March issue of our magazine. 
But uh, in the meantime, is there a phone number, uh, someone in your offices or call you directly or where can they find out more? So I think the Commissioner Cambio is the right point of contact, um, generally speaking, on the uh, on both of these matters, um, on the uh, on the complaints and contractors registration board process front. Keep an eye on the contractor's website, crb.ri.gov, um, which will have uh, you know a variety of updates, bulletins, and guidance um, coming out over the next couple of months. And then obviously Paul and John will stay in close touch, just you know between us, so that you know we're making sure that we're giving you guys a heads up um, as far as we can um, as these things continue to roll out. So thank you again for being willing to talk to us about it. We're very excited um, to have oh, this. Oh, very good. Thank you for all the great information. So as I uh, wanted to just uh, remind everybody, this is our January 2023 podcast. Many thanks to our guests. In the meantime, uh, the Rhode Island Builders Association is the going gangbusters, all sorts of great stuff for our members. And uh, for all the information, education, member sources you need, call 401-438-7400 during business hours or visit ribuilders.org anytime. I'm Paul Eno here with John Marcantonio. We'll see you next time on the Reba News and Views podcast.